Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Well, the calendar says it's spring. Obviously, uh, the weather is not necessarily uh, cooperating, but uh, hopefully you're enjoying a, at least it's not windy. What do we always say, though, when it snows in the spring? We need oh right the Some, water. Somebody's got to yeah. We need the moisture. Someone even you said that I did. Oh, I was you actually golf played golf a couple of times. I've yeah. not played yet this year. If you can do. And you're saying the greens need some water. Yeah, I need a little need a little love. That's good. It's nice to not have a yeah. You can tell I'm 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 from Colorado because I'm the I'm the try to look at the glass half full. We need the moisture guy who everyone hates. Yeah. I mean I totally yeah. get everyone it, but, hates. But uh but I'm but I'm, I'm but one but of those you're guys. understated about it. You don't. <laughs> I'm not Every the, time yeah. it snows, that isn't no, the first thing you say. No, it was mainly, I was just thinking. Uh, By the way, I, I just noticed, and this we can be seen, right? Correct. Do people see that you're scrambling here? This is the disadvantage of being more technically or technologically adept than am I, that you're scrambling to uh, hook up your laptop. Right, right. And, you know, I've got this. Right. I've got this. Which is, by the way, <laughs> if you've never seen it, I've, I've told Sandy this before. Uh, whenever you do choose to retire, not when somebody actually says you're retired, whenever, right. whenever you choose to actually that, do it, that's right. um, I, I need you to audit. It's, it's going to be like a last uh, lineup card for me because the multicolored shorthand well, that that is, you know I've worked with you that? for years. I, don't, I can't even you, read this. You, you know who did that, though? And um, I, I have the book at home. It's in paperback. Uh, Tom Verducci's book with Joe Madden, uh, and, and 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 there are two books. He did one biography of Madden, but he did another on the Cubs' rise to uh, the World Series and their winning of the World Series. And Madden's lineup card. Not that I wasn't doing this for many years before that, right. but it's all color coded with various that, uh, uh, I get abbreviations that. and insignias that mean things only to Joe Madden. But they're explained in the book. It's actually on uh, the inside of the front cover of the book where they have his lineup card and a legend explaining all the doodlings and (laughs) abbreviations and stuff that he has on there. And there's some wild stuff that's dependent on your being culturally somewhat of a savant. Yeah, at least it, yeah into that uh, into that world a little bit. Yeah, yeah you're gonna have to sign. So you have okay. to sign the last one. Lineup you cards hang, can be color coded and frequently are yes. in Major League Baseball. Um, but I I learned this from Marv Albert, uh, whom I was fortunate enough to get to know through his brother Al uh, over the years. But when I was a kid in 1975, we went down to Madison Square Garden for a playoff game and. We were young kids who didn't know any better, and security in 1975 wasn't the way it is. Somewhat today. Less. Yeah. So after the game, we went up and introduced ourselves to Marv Albert, who was as nice as he always is and has been uh, helping younger broadcasters because Marty Lichtman helped him. Marty Lichtman, the legendary uh, New York uh, football play-by-play man, uh, basketball voice of the Knicks in the early 60s, and so on. So Marv passed on that that trait of helping 
younger people because Marty Glickman helped him. And Marv had color-coded manila folders that were spread out with lineups and notes. And Brother Al used one of those pens, which which I do have, those multicolored pens. Oh, yeah, the ones where you click the little click, end. Click yeah, yeah. the color. Sure. Right? Click the color down. I remember those. And get it. That, that's what Al used. So Al's was much more informal. But um, I've said this for years. I grew up listening to Marv Albert do the Knicks and the Rangers on radio at various stations. Al Albert is the greatest radio basketball play-by-play voice of all time. And it's very good on TV, too. But I think on radio, and we here in Denver were lucky enough to hear Al on radio mm, for about five years, from 75, 76, or thereabouts, through 19... 80 uh when he moved back to new york but then he that was that was the radio voice i remember right he did hearing TV for, for the first time with the nuggets well yeah, Al yeah. and yeah. he I, i'm telling you he's the best who ever did it. the best who ever did it on radio the nuggets were never as we know a championship team even in the american basketball association but they had very good teams and i was the voice and he was inimitable. They still sell those no, pens. Nobody is good. I literally just wanted to see oh, if no. they still sell no, them. No, and they, they look exactly they like they, they did do. in the I, 1980s. There's like them. no different. It looks exactly the same. I've got three of them. <laughs> now, explain. You know how sick that makes me? I have three <laughs> multicolored pens. Well, well, it's like, it's you like, only yeah, need one. Well, no, right? because you the one you want three. is always going to be out of ink. The one color you well, want will be Yeah, right. but you're not That's using you one color all the time. So yeah. the, the ink and all the... one time the, you want the red, Well, what is it? Out. Green, red, black, blue, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. So you, you're almost never going to run out of ink in one pen, but I I don't even know which one I... I just pick one out. Yeah, three that's the right plan. And use it sometimes, yeah, I, but then I have these other... Where, where the print's a little thicker. I mean, it just feels... A Doug Ottawa Less scribbly. Uh, Editor-in-chief of Miley Sports Magazine. Another one of those guys that takes all his notes in multi colors. It looks like, it well, looks see, like a work Ottawa's of art when person. he's done. I mean, it's amazing. It just, yeah. It's this beautiful thing. And mine, I do it, and I often can't read what I wrote. <laughs> so by the time... Well, I can read what I wrote. Yeah, which is why most, I have the laptop. Most of the time, and uh, I defy you to read. Uh, no, yours, yours is... Uh, I would need a Rosetta Stone to be able to, to put that together. Yeah, it's... Uh, Nothing, nothing quite like, quite like that. But yeah, whenever you are done, if I'm still your coast, I need you to autograph and give that one to me. I mean, that's that's what I need to. I'll frame it up. We'll, we'll yeah. How about them abs? Did what they needed to do, and uh, as you, we expected, that was a game. You know, the the Jets were resting uh, seven regulars. Uh, they were resting their goaltender. Uh, Winnipeg was pretty game in the in the opening parts of the mm-hmm. the, the contest. They really were, and uh, the abs finally, I think, just sort of overpowered them a little disappointed by the way i'm just going to call it out because i i actually liked his contributions as an ab briefly but vladislav nemesnikov last night i don't know what side of the bed he woke up on but i'm not really sure why he's diving at the back of carl eller's knee while he's going trying to go knee to knee with miko rantanen who barely pulled his leg off the ice in time cognizant of what was about to happen 
and avoiding it. I'm not really sure what was with that last night, but um, some disappointing sort of cheap performances, not really from the Jets, but from Domestikov, which I just yeah. thought was yeah. odd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And again, as is every moment of encouragement with the Avalanche, it's matched by the fact that Morgan and Cagliano sustained injuries and Jared Bednar sounded to me none too optimistic about an imminent return for either one of them, and both will be out tonight. Now, Ben Myers did not dress out last night. Uh, they had Nashushkin, so we weren't really entirely correct on that. They moved Nashushkin up to left wing in the first line with McKinnon and Rantanen, second line confer centering for Lekkonen and Rodriguez. Eller between Newhook and Mulgan, and I thought they were excellent. Yeah, I mean, last night, gold, new well, Moggins, Moggins gone now. Uh, Cogliano centering Nieto and O'Connor. Now, Myers, my guess is that Myers could move up to the third line and Newhook could center the fourth line. Yeah, I, I, right? I, I, I now could I, see I, that. I, so I can see how they could replace uh, Cogliano. I have no idea what they'll do in replacing Morgan. No yeah, idea. and that, that does feel like a situation because at least of of the roles. I mean, I, I suspect that... And Eller was where, excellent last night, and by the way. Eller was when great. When he wasn't getting cheap shots. Yeah, and, and he didn't to get that uh, penalty shot, but if that he had, that would have been a three-point night for him. Yes. He had two other yeah. assists, a pretty efficient game. Eller has constantly looked, and, and you were on to this, Sandy, in the early going when the Avs brought Eller on because last year you... You pointed out there was a lot of similarities to when they brought in Josh Manson. That Manson, even by his own admission, basically said it was just taking him a while to adjust being in a, in a new city, a new town, with a new team. It just took him a while to get his sea legs. And you had been watching Eller play, and you had been consistent on the point. You said, you, you think the same thing's happening. Not that it was a bad trade. Not that it's not going to oh, no. work out. It, he just needs time to get his rhythm with the team. And in the last three games or so, he's really looked good. He has, and one of the major reasons they made the trade was because he's great on faceoffs, and he was nine and three on draws last night. And it allowed the Avalanche to dominate in an area where even last year they were quite weak, and that's on faceoffs. They are still when it comes to faceoffs, especially uh in the power play. They are one of the worst faceoff teams in the league. And that's the with only the power thing play. really wrong with their power play. I didn't love the shorthanded goal, of course, they gave up last night, but the only thing really wrong with their power play is they don't want enough faceoffs. And sometimes they don't have to because they're very adept at keeping possession of the puck and not allowing uh, the other team to stop the action. I think in areas where the Avs have improved their own penalty killing, they have been much more able in recent games. They've been much more able in the area of creating stoppages. And actually on the PK, because Eller is out there killing penalties, Eller ain't out there on the power play. Eller's winning draws, killing penalties. Mm -hmm. So they get the stoppage. They get face-offs, which you want, especially if you can win them. 
And with Eller out there, they won a lot of them. Now, we'll see with those injuries uh, updates. Cogliano did not travel uh, to, for today's game, as expected. One of the differences, Kyle Fredrickson of the Denver Gazette, we had him on earlier this yes. week. Yes, uh, very reliable. That, uh, Malgan is going to travel. Not going to play, but is going to travel. So may, maybe that indicates that it's not as I severe. got the feeling. Now, again, the distinctions are lost on me, so maybe you can help me out. Day-to-day and out. One of them was listed on ESPN as being day-to-day, and one was listed as being out. Yeah, and, and the funny thing so is, in hockey, it's not like football. You know, there's no. no actual, real, like, firm designation. It's more no. everyone's just kind of going off what possible description did you get from the yeah. coach. Well, it, so it, do you read tricky. that as an encouraging sign that Morgan, even if he doesn't do. play, does travel with the I, team? I, yeah, I do. I think that it, it indicates that at least they believe uh, that he'll be back with the team soon enough that they don't want to separate him from the team. I think that's a reasonable assumption. Now, does that mean uh, game one of the playoffs? I don't necessarily know, but you are right. Over at ESPN, Cogliano was listed as out. Malcolm was listed as day-to-day. Um, that's so, Morgan is traveling, and he's traveling. day-to-day. And Cogliano is out and not even traveling, right. which I guess Th- that tells makes you the one's more severe than the kind other. of sense. <laughs> yes, so I think in, in Malgan's case, as much case, sense as hockey injuries uh, and the way they're can. revealed and described ever makes sense. Right. So, so bad news there with the injuries, obviously, and that's that's the concern. You know, there there are obviously in the West yesterday there were a, a bevy of impactful games that were required for for standings. I mean, the seeds were up in the air last night. But that's the difference, and let's you know, see what we compare it to, say, the Denver Nuggets, of which we know the okay, they haven't played all that well the way they finished the season, but they've taken the opportunity to rest and avoid injuries to players. That's the luxury you get when you can lock down a seed early, and especially a high one, and the Avalanche have not quite had that luxury, and so they have to send guys out in a game last night that they had to win, and they have to do it again tonight in Nashville. And so there's, there's a risk there. Yes. I'm watching Dallas-St. Louis last night, which was a chore, I must admit. Dallas is dreadful, and St. Louis, apart from Bennington, who was an odd duck, and I don't mean Anaheim, right? Um, in the best of circumstances, he actually was in a mood to play well last night, and he was the reason they only lost one to nothing. St. Louis was almost never in danger of scoring. Ottinger had two or three big saves. And once the, the first goal the was game, in, I mean, but once they scored, the you know, that. you knew it was going to end one to nothing. They were talking last night on the telecast, though, about how lucky Dallas has been with injuries this year. These are the guys who played 82 games. They're basically all high-end players, most of them. Robertson, their leading scorer. Never missed a game. Jamie Benn, never missed a game. Pavelski, never missed a game. Wyatt Johnson, never missed a game. Suter, never missed a game. Lindell, wow. never missed a game. Delandria, who had a nice year, 28 points. Yeah, but I mean, for a 22-year-old Never rookie, missed a game. Pretty now, solid. That's two, four, six, seven guys. Including Pavelski, who's Including 38. Pavelski. Right. Jamie Benn's never 33. Right. Never missed a game. Either one of them. On the Avs. Ryan there Suter's are 38. four guys, four guys who have played all 81 games that the Avalanche have played so far. Ranton and Comfer, Newhook and O'Connor, that's it. That's the list. 
It's remarkable what the Avs have done, and they find themselves in a position tonight where there's no scoreboard watching, there's no nothing. Take care of uh, take care of business. You very win, simple. Win in any capacity. Win in regulation. Win in overtime. Win in shootout. Win the game. You take the central. You are the two seed. You will take on the Seattle Kraken, uh, which is a, to my mind, significantly more favorable matchup than the Minnesota Wild, even though the Wild are playing some pretty yeah. bad hockey of yeah. late. Yeah. But I, I just think the physicality of the Wild, the, the the way that they play, they've added some speed to their strength, makes them particularly dangerous for the Abs in a way that the Kraken do not. Maybe, maybe. And the Wild did beat the Abs in their most recent head-to-head confrontation. However, uh, this year, the Wild point percentage is 628 and Seattle is 610. Yeah, it's only three points there, difference. There's really not much in the way of difference. Uh, Seattle and the Wild both won 46 games. Uh, Minnesota lost 25. Seattle lost 28. The Wild lost 11 in overtime in the shootout. And Seattle lost 8 in overtime in the shootout. They, they there, there's not... not much difference. Minnesota's 5-3-2 and two in its last 10 games to close out the season. Seattle 6-4 and four in its yeah. last 10 games, including the loss to Las Vegas last night, which again was uh, a snooze fest. They, boy, they had two G- bad given games. That, and you talked about those injuries. I mean, Red consider Red. if they win tonight. The Avalanche will tie the Vegas Golden Knights with 51 wins. That's the highest in the Western Conference. Correct. Given everything that Correct. you just said, they could be tied for the most wins in the West. And that's without Gabriel Landeskog for the whole year. We know. He's and in the, for the East, playoffs. remember Toronto, even with 111 points, only, got only 50. won 50 games. Oh, only one. Only, games. yeah. Uh, but, Carolina right. 152, New Jersey 152. Uh, you know, I looked at hockey reference today. Simple rating system. Mm-hmm. You do the same thing with basketball reference. And I'm looking at the top 10 teams by this system of ranking teams. And I think it mostly has to do with goals scored, goals against, that that kind of thing. I'm not sure exactly how the formula is concocted, but it seems pretty accurate when it comes to assessing how good teams are or how good they're not. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Boston, number one. New Jersey, number two. Dallas, number three. So, I mean, you can again, make the argument this simple rating system they... is not holding their 14 overtime and shootout losses against them. Dallas, number three, ahead of Edmonton, four, Rangers, five, Toronto, six, Carolina, seven, the Avs, eight, Vegas, nine, Tampa Bay, ten. If the Avs win tonight, they won't vault ahead of Dallas in the simple rating system, but they will beat Dallas out for the Central Division title. That is a masterful playing job by those who have been healthy enough to play from game to game. And it is one of the great hockey coaching jobs I've seen, at least around here. And the avalanche of a lot of very well-known, decorated head coaches in their time, even here in Denver, just in their time in Denver. They've had Mark Crawford. They've had Bob Hartley. They've had Joel Quinville in their respective careers combined. That's five Stanley Cup titles. Okay. Jared Bednar has coached this team this year. You know, pe- people think when the Avalanche first came to town, they were real good, and they were. Yeah. But they won. people think they won 50 games every year. They did not. 
They won 52 games in 2001. Not in 1996 when they won the Cup. They didn't win 50 games. 52 wins in 2001. 52 wins in 2014. And then they lost in the first round of the playoffs. Oh, one, they won the Cup. 2022, 56, 19, and 7. That was last year they won the Cup. This is only the fourth time in, I believe, 28 playing seasons that the Avalanche have won 50 games. Given all the things that have gone around this team, that is absolutely remarkable. We'll have an opportunity to talk more about it with uh, one of the long-timers here at Mile High Sports, J.J. Jerez. He'll come up next. I woke up this morning, and I said, you know, instead of waiting for a good day to happen, you know, waiting around the walks and downs, you know. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Joining us now, one of the uh, the long-timers here at Mile High Sports. Uh, been covering uh, for, for MHS for a long time, covering the Avalanche. Hosted the hockey show. By the way, that's uh, Saturday at noon. Um, so you want to find out what... The game tonight means uh, this is the guy you want to pay attention to. Also hosted the Hockey Mountain High podcast. You can follow him on Twitter, JJ of the Year. Yeah, forget those other JJs. You don't need those guys. JJ of the Year. JJ Jerez uh, joining us. Uh, JJ, thanks for joining us. Uh, and obviously, you know, I caught some of the uh, the, the podcast yesterday, the the shock of uh, losing Landeskog for the playoffs. And I, I guess I'll start there. It's a shock, but it's not an immense shock. And given the fact that that now the Avalanche know that Landeskog is not going to be a part of this playoff run, obviously it makes it harder for the team. But does having this clarity soften that a little bit? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on with uh, the great Sandy Clough. And yeah, obviously there's some uh, a little bit of joy in the closure that comes with just simply knowing, right? You, you could tell from the players last night that they're, you know, Nathan McKinnon basically admitting that it kills them, right? It, it kills them both from a hockey standpoint and from an internal mental standpoint as well. It's, it's a big piece that they're missing. But at the same time, you look at what they've already accomplished this year, and they've done the entire thing without Gabe Landeskog. I mean, the uh, the way that Nathan McKinnon and Nico Ranson have been able to carry the team on their shoulders, backed by you know the newcomer and Alexander Georgiev and, and the defensive squad that we knew what they had to bring. I mean, they've done great things this year, and, and you can't undermine that. They're still a, a, a good team, despite missing a, a major piece that could have really made them a great team. But, you know, they're still right there in the mix of, of good playoff squads. You know, everybody always says in the NHL, either you just have to get in, right? But that, that's not always true. We've seen it happen once in a while. But really, there's contenders, and then there's the guys that squeaked in. The Avalanche are still in the contender category with or without Gateway and Scott. If someone, J.J., had told you at the beginning of the year, or even told the Avs players, you're around the players, you talk to them, yeah, that Landeskog would be gone for the entire year and that Makar would miss more than a quarter of the year, that Nashushkin would miss even more time than that, and Byram would miss major 
amounts of time during the season. All that considered, honestly, what do you think the players would have thought about their chances to win 50 games and finish first in the Central Division? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uh, potency that you're missing there, not to mention losing the uh, goal contributions of Nazem Kadri over the offseason and Andre Burakovsky. You know, that's a major void that's just not being filled. You tried to get it with Evan Rodriguez. He's, he's an okay acquisition, but not to the extent of uh, what those two guys brought to the table. So, yeah, that's a lot of pieces you're missing. And um, it, all, all the more credit to what they've been able to accomplish because it's been a battle all year long. I mean, you look back to the All-Star break, this team was on the outside looking in, just barely. And, of course, they had a couple games in hand, but there were a lot of doubters. And then something happened right around February. I think I think it might have been that loss to Chicago um, where they really woke up and said, we got to flip a switch here because if we don't, uh, you know, this, this is going to get away from us. You know, see the Calgary Flames, see the Nashville Predators. Um, so they were able to turn it on. Nathan McKinnon suddenly went from 13 goals. He's finishing. He's at 39 right now. We've seen what Miko Rantanen has been doing. So something happened. Something woke them up. Um, it was a much-needed wake-up. But it, it, it all came into fruition at, at the perfect time, a lot like last year. So it feels like they're playing the right brand of hockey at the perfect time. And, um, you know, despite any adversity that they're getting thrown their way. It seems that they're, they're used to it at this point and they're ready to overcome it. This is a question that may be tough to answer. And you've already identified, I think, the people who have, in effect, carried them from an offensive standpoint. And they have not been a top 10 offensive team for virtually the entire season, but they have, strangely enough, been a top 10 defensive team throughout much, if not the entire season. Is there an unsung hero, in your opinion, among the guys we have not mentioned yet in this conversation, who you yeah. would identify chiefly as a, a reason that they've gone 37 and four in their last 41 games? That's half a season in which over a period of 91 days, they've lost exactly seven games in regulation. I think, I don't know if he's the unsung hero, so to speak, because he's kind of right there in the forefront, but I think Alexander Georgiev has been the pivotal reason for that. I mean, you've noticed... I, I agree with you, and I think I think unsung does apply to Georgiev a little bit. He's better yeah. than people think he's been. Sure, and, and last year, shot suppression was really one of the focuses for this Avalanche team, and they've gotten away from that a little bit this year. I don't know if it's by choice or if they just simply haven't been able to keep the shots at bay as, as much as they've been used to, but Georgiev has been there to back them up every single time. You've seen him stop some two-on-0s, two-on-ones. I mean, and his reflexes are second to none. I think they really, what they found in Georgiev is amazing, and, and the front office deserves, deserves so much credit because you have seen the team flip but suddenly the goaltending position has been maybe stronger than it's been since Patrick Watt. That That is a big part of it, obviously. And and now that we look forward, it feels like the goaltending is there. You won't have Landis Gog. We'll find out about Cogliano and Malkin, although those guys weren't going to be uh, Landis Gog replacements. There is no way to replace him with one guy on the roster. It's not going to be the case. Right. But you look at the guys that, that have an opportunity to step up and be more impactful. Who do you think is readiest to take that leap and and take some of those extra minutes of ice time and maybe advance a little bit further than anyone thought and surprise. 
I think it's got to be Arturi Lekanen. I mean, he was such a pivotal piece in the playoffs last year, and he just bases his entire game on hard work, right? So he can really set the tempo. If he's playing big minutes, he can really kind of set that energy for the guys around him and make the same impact. I mean, it's really unknown how they're going to work the line combinations come playoff time, but I would love to see a, a Lekanen, Comfort, Nachushkin line because that line to me just screams hard work. It screams playoffs. So, um, any one of those three can be thrown in that hat. But, I mean, Arturi Lekkonen was such an X factor in last year's success that if he brings a similar game to what he did last year, I think the Avs are going to be in an A-OK position. Not to mention, that's kind of Gabe Landeskog's style too, right? He's the one that mucks it up in the corners. He's that power forward. Well, Arturi Lekkonen kind of amps up the uh, energy, maybe turns down the skill a little bit, but has a lot of the uh, same tools to bring as Gabe Landeskog. We know how helpful the trade acquisitions were a year ago at the deadline. I don't think they win the cup unless they make, I'd say virtually all those moves uh, turned out to be uh, Lekin and Manson in particular uh, during the playoffs, but all all the moves they made at the deadline last year worked out Uh, this year. I I guess uh, the most significant acquisition might've been Eller uh, slow start. Uh, by his own admission, by the coaching staff's own admission. But in recent games, he's been better. Uh, How did you assess his performance last night over uh, 16 minutes and 51 seconds of ice time? Yeah, he's been kind of one of those quiet, pivotal guys, right? I think he brings a lot to his game that is really going to suit the playoff style. I mean, that's kind of who Lars Eller is if you look at years past he, he kind of is that guy, right? You see it in every sport, a guy that somehow tur- turns it up for playoff time. Well, Lars Eller is that guy. He is even the one that scored the game-winning goal when the Avalanche or when the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup a few years back. So I expect him to just simply be able to, to produce a little bit more. Yeah, he's left more to be desired since his arrival, but you see him generating chances. You see him you know, creating that shootout or that penalty shot goal um, yesterday. That's that's not by a fluke, right? That's him putting himself in the right position. I think he's finally getting a little bit more comfortable with the ab structure and the ab style a little bit. Um, so I, I fully anticipate him to surprise many ABS fans come playoff time, despite, you know, not, not being so uh, overwhelming so far. We're talking with J.J. Jerez of Mile High Sports, and when you look at this situation, obviously, if you're the Avs, you want to win this game. You want that two seed. You want the home ice for as long as you can have it, and you want to get the Kraken. But before you joined us, Sandy and I were talking about it, the way Minnesota's played lately. Uh, is there a huge difference from you? Just for something goes haywire, they lose this game. Does it basically spell the, the difference between the end of a potential run or the difference between a deep one, whether they win or lose tonight. Is this game that impactful? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's that dramatic, but I definitely think it's to, uh, you know, an easy round one or a round one where you're really going to have to make sure you're playing your game right out of the gate because Minnesota has such a great style of, of physicality that typically is the Avalanche's Achilles heel, and then they have skill to throw in there. Of course, their question marks are going to be the goalies. Who do they go with, Gustafson or Marc-Andre Fleury? Um, you know, that, and, you know, that's not a good problem to have come playoff time. So I think there are some weaknesses in the Minnesota Wild, but we just saw them, what was it, two weeks ago here at Ball Arena in a very important game 
uh, first in the Central was up for grabs, and Minnesota definitely outplayed the Avalanche that night. So, yeah, Minnesota puts a little bit more fear in my heart than Seattle. Seattle, you, you got to rely on the fact that they're just immature. They, you know, are still learning how to, you know, navigate their way through an NHL playoff. And um, they've got a lot of great players, but not too much offensive potency, just very stubborn defensively. So I think Seattle would definitely be a breeze, uh, maybe Avalanche in five, but Minnesota. Who knows what can happen in there? I'd love to see that one go seven, but it's all up to tonight, like you mentioned, and I don't see the Avalanche not not rising to the occasion this evening. Isn't the big difference in the second round when you would anticipate playing Dallas? Either way, the difference between having home ice advantage for that series and not having home ice advantage for such a second-round series, isn't that when the difference becomes greatest? And, of course, as there often is in hockey, there's uh, the reality that the Avs have actually been a better road team this year. Yeah, than they've been exactly a right. ro- uh, than they've been a home team, a record-setting road team. In fact, yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly the point I was going to make. So, yeah, sure, you'd like to have home ice. I mean, this is such a rowdy crowd that we have now. It, it seems like I don't know what it has, what what kind of shift has happened in the last five, six years, but. It feels like a younger, rowdier crowd at Ball Arena than I've seen in my nine seasons covering this team. Um, so you know that the crowd's going to bring it for an off, for a home ice advantage. But I, just, I don't think the, the players really care, right? I mean, I know they'll tell you that, and, and it's such a vanilla answer, but I really think there's truth to it. Because in hockey, yeah, you have home ice advantages. Sometimes you don't, but you're kind of enclosed. You're almost separated from the crowd, and it feels – like hockey players more than any other sport are really good at drowning out that noise and, and just kind of focusing on the game. So yeah, I, I just think you'd be more worried about the Dallas matchup. And again, the, the way they play a physical style and their very aggressive defensive structure. Um, I think that's more, more something that the Az are going to have to think about and, uh, you know, really game plan for more so than home ice. He is J.J. Jerez, covers the uh, Avalanche for Mile High Sports. Make sure you check out the Hockey Mountain High podcast and the Hockey Show, which will be tomorrow at noon right here, breaking down what will be the Avs, then more clear series, opening series of the playoffs uh, against either the Kraken or the Wild. Appreciate the time, J.J. Thanks so much. Thank you, boys. Anytime. All right. J.J. Jerez joining us. Uh, obviously, they're the, uh, and in you know, pure hockey term, signs off like, thank you, boys. I mean, you know. You know, it's a guy that has, has been around hockey for a while. And, and it brings the two of you brought up some good points there about the road part of this. And that's why I guess I look at it with the Avs and think that tonight's game is really, really important because they're as unbothered by the road as any team in the NHL. So great. So in that case, the seed wouldn't matter at all. But while you're at it, why not have home ice as often as well, possible, too? See, to me, in hockey, home ice... Helps you in the seventh game. The series goes that far. It's almost always better to have it for that seventh game. And, and again, I know road teams win seventh games. Yeah. But psychologically, knowing you've got your game in your place. And the best example of that to me was in 2001 in the Stanley Cup final with the Devils uh, when they actually lost two games out of three to start the series at home. And as it turned out, they had to win two out of three in New Jersey to stay alive. And they got that second win in New Jersey in game six, came back here in game seven. And 
just being around the players at that point, I, I was walking into the building for game seven. And I, I remember I was walking in with Terry Fry and the aforementioned Adrian Dater. And I just said, it, I mean, there's absolutely no chance they're going to lose this game. I remember Larry Robinson, the coach of the Devils, saying before game seven, I love raining on parades. <laughs> uh, but I didn't think. See, the key to me was Bobby Holik bent over in the dressing room in New Jersey after game six in tears. They hadn't lost the series. They just lost game six. But he knew that game six was really their game seven and that they had no chance. And the Avalanche players knew it. Wah knew it. And Holik knew it on the other side. And it was very easy in advance of that game, I've never been so sure of an outcome in my life that the Avalanche, that there was no way they were going to lose that game. Uh, now, uh, when it's the Avs in Dallas, uh, Dallas has played well here, and the Avs have played, at times, well down in Dallas. But uh, that will be a test if that series comes to pass, with or without home ice advantage. That might be the acid test unless Edmonton gets the Western Conference final, which is a probability. And of course, Edmonton might be the second best team in the league right now. Uh, yes, I, I think that's a totally fair thing to say. The Denver Nuggets will find out who they take on in their opening round of the NBA playoffs tonight. Uh, you won't be surprised on who had some significant doubts about how the Nuggets really are title ready. I'll tell you next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Nuggets tonight will find out who they play in the first round of the playoffs. Kind of fun having both of these teams here you are on the very last day of the NHL season, which is one extra day, really, because they're makeup games. Now you're talking about the last possible date for the Nuggets, and we don't know the Avs or the Nuggets are going to play yet. It will be either the Timberwolves, have a Minnesota two-step with both technically with both the and Nuggets as possible, or the Oklahoma City Thunder. But I, but uh, I, I want to. I just read the quote for you. Don't need to have the sound. I don't. I don't have to necessarily shout every third random word to make it seem like a hotter take. But uh, earlier today on the NBA Today from ESPN, Stephen A. Smith talked about the Nuggets, and here's his quote. They're a really, really, really good team. But when you look at the elite, you say, would they really get over the hump? Have they convinced you that they are those dudes? Nobody believes Denver's are those dudes until further notice. And there's, I, I could sort of feel the frustration from, from Nuggets fans hearing that. But it's sort of something that I alluded to earlier this week. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. And... You know, the, the way he speaks and, you know, I know him a little bit. Uh, he's really not like that. This is all performative. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's performative, but right. his point is, without getting into the weeds, uh, you know, they're about hot takes and they're not about illustrating their 
points at great length. But the Nuggets are 6-14 and 14 in their last 20 playoff games. And I know you've heard me say that many times over the last few weeks, but basically what it does is take you back to the last series they played in the bubble, the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers in 2020. And they lost four games to one. And it reminds you that they were down three games to one in their previous series against the Clippers and in the series before that, which was the first round of the playoffs, in the bubble, they were down three games to one to Utah. So other than the series against Portland two years ago that they won four games to two, and even in that series, they were in trouble. Wasn't the fifth game a triple overtime affair? A ridiculously high-scoring game here in Denver. The series was 2-2. That fifth game could have gone either way, and by the end of that fifth game, you knew that the winner of that game was going to win the series and probably win the next game. If it had been Portland, Portland would have won at home and won the series. Denver, Denver would have uh, won, and Denver did win, in fact, in Portland, and win the series four games to two. That was that was a couple of years ago. Uh, but then they went on and got swept by Phoenix, and last year they lost in five uh, to uh, Golden State, and they were again down three games to one, lost the fifth game, much as they had against the Lakers uh, in the bubble a couple of years earlier. Uh, there are reasons to like where the Nuggets are as an organization. The average age of the team is 27. That's perfect. You've got your core players uh, all on long-term deals and all in the midst of their prime years. Uh, Jokic is signed through the 27-28 season. Uh, The Nuggets did spend, to Kroenke's credit, into the luxury tax this year for the first time since 2010. They had done it in 2009 and 2010. Two years in a row they did Mm -hmm. The fact that they did it this year helped them keep Jeff Green and sign Bruce Brown. It also helped them extend Condavius Caldwell-Pope, whom they had acquired from the Washington Wizards. $14 million in taxes. So they're not fooling around. From an ownership standpoint, you could not ask for more as a fan. They have invested over the luxury tax in trying to put together a championship team. In terms of efficiency, millions spent per win, the Nuggets are right up there with the most efficient teams in the league when it comes to spending. Memphis, $2.4 million per win. Sacramento, $2.8 million per win. Denver, $3.2 million per win. You you love all that. Uh, It's... Going to be interesting, though, depending on the opponent. I think Minnesota is a team they will handle easily. I I, I don't see a series of Minnesota going more than five. Games. They, they're, they're kind of a mess. Oklahoma City could be more aggravating. But I still think it's... Because you've got a team that's feeling no pressure. The Nuggets are feeling pressure. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma City's feeling no pressure. They've got one of the five best players in the sport, who is the fourth-leading scorer in the NBA this year, averaging 31 points per game, almost 31-and-a-half, as a matter of fact. He's 24 years old, and he is one of the best three or four defensive guards in the sport. There's little debate about that. He scored six points in the final 29 seconds the other night in New Orleans to basically put them over the hump in that 123-118 win over the Pelicans. They've got Josh Giddy, who's 20 years old, 
and almost had a triple-double with 31 points, nine rebounds, and 10 assists the other night. They've got Lou Dort, speaking of excellent young defensive players in the league, they've got two of the best. Yes, they do. In 24-year-old Shea Gilgis-Alexander and 23-year-old Lou Dort, who also had a big scoring night the other night in New Orleans with 27. Jalen Williams, the J-A-L-E-N Williams, is 21 years old. These are four starters at 20, 21, 23, and 24 years of age. The, the There's average, no fear there. Yeah, the average age on that team is 22.6. Uh, the Nuggets are 27.1, which is still, by the way, uh, it, reasonably young. Among, uh, there's the, the Bucks' average age is over 30. Right. So that there's nothing right. uh, nothing wrong and with it. you know it. The who's Nuggets an older team upswing. in the league, one of the 10 oldest teams in the league, and I never would have guessed this, the Sacramento Kings. Now, I never would have guessed it because their star player is De'Aaron Fox, and he's 25. But they've had some guys <laughs> but, bounce but they, around a little bit. But their average age is 28. That doesn't make them old per se, but it makes them the ninth oldest team in the NBA. I never would have guessed that. And you talked so about the Nuggets the, um, are a younger team than Sacramento. Right? And uh, Brian Windhorst had a terrific piece today on ESPN.com about how the Western Conference has kind of flipped, and now you have these teams that – were until fairly recently pretty bad teams. Even under Malone, the Nuggets weren't very good the first couple, three years. They didn't make the playoffs. It wasn't until 2019 that they made the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we know Memphis and Sacramento have been down in recent years. And all of a sudden, these are the three teams that are leading the West. And the question is whether that continues, how much it means for the playoffs because these are all unproven playoff teams as opposed to Phoenix, which has been in the NBA Finals recently, Golden State, defending champions, Lakers, champions of the bubble in 2020, and and the Clippers, who seem more or less like a perennial threat, even though they often don't accomplish what you think they should. And the Clippers are well aware that when they played the Nuggets, as favorites in the bubble, and we're up three games to one, they blew that series. And that's the last time the Clippers and the Nuggets met uh, in the playoffs. So there, there are a lot of things to consider. Uh, how you finish a season, sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it, there's there's some good news and bad news. The bad news for the Nuggets in finishing only 10-10 and 10 down the stretch is that since 2003, NBA champions averaged 13.7 wins Per year, in the out final, of the last their, twenty, right? Out of the last, but 20. how many? Of course, and in the last decade, conference online, fourteen out of twenty. Well, a lot of them did. Yeah, but it's now it's difficult here's to the good news. Cor- here's correlation, the good news. causation are different things. Yeah, here's 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 the good news. Last year, Golden State finished ten and ten, won the championship. Twenty eighteen, Golden State finished ten and ten, won the championship. So, bias, if you like it, it yeah. It, it, it can work both ways. We don't know how it will work with the Nuggets. But back to the point that Smith was making, there is reason for doubt because they didn't come roaring down the stretch. And they haven't. And in fact, done their own before. head coach said in recent days, after a <laughs> right. 21-point loss in we Houston, like if this. we play like this, we'll lose in the first round. Right. That's from their own head coach. It's not a great. So why wouldn't a national commentator, whether it's Steve. Uh, Stephen A. Smith or somebody else have some doubts based on that quote 
alone. And this is a good thing for the Nuggets in some ways, too, because you know what? It's not that it's uh, this whole stereotypical macho chip on your shoulder thing. It's not. But there is something to knowing that you have something to prove. And the Nuggets, quite frankly, should know as a team that's never been to the finals, a team that's uh, is not often at, at this level, has never been a top seed, that, yeah, they do have something to prove. And that's not a bad thing. By the way, you talked about some of the the, the spending. Also important, there are only two teams, there are only three teams in the entire NBA who have no dead cap money. The Nuggets are one of them. Only two of them are in the playoffs. It's the Nuggets and the Clippers. That's it. So a, a league in which trades, and when you talk about the dead cap hamstring things, we talk about Oklahoma City Thunder, they have the third most. They have 50 million in dead cap money. So, yeah, there are ways to maneuver around it. There are, but give uh, Calvin Booth and his predecessor, Tim Connolly, credit for putting the Nuggets in a spot of maximum flexibility and giving ownership credit for jumping over and paying the luxury Listen, tax I, to I, do it. I, I, Booth came in with the owners willing to pay the luxury tax and go $14 million into luxury tax territory. However, their success this year, to me, is if you're choosing between the two GMs, the present one gets 75% of the credit to me. I agree. Because he was the one who brought trade. Green back, brought in Brown, and Pulled drafted the off Christian of, Brown of and extended Contavious Caldwell yeah, Pope. Monte Morris, major changes in the offseason. Uh, uh, yes. He deserves 75% of the credit. Uh, of the two, and it might be more than that. I'm, I think I'm going low uh, on credit distribution there. Uh, Malone did a better coaching job this year, by and large. But again, the Nuggets weren't a 60-win team. They weren't even a 55-win team. They were far from being the best Nugget regular season team of all time in the NBA. Far from that. The Nuggets have had many better seasons in the regular season than they had this year. But the Nuggets have the best player in the world for the last three years and it's time for them to show more in the playoffs. We'll check in with the Nuggets, find out uh, where their heads are at and what might be a better fit in the postseason with Vinny Benedetto of the Denver Gazette. He'll join us next on Mile High Sports.